0: You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled today because we have not just one guest, but we have two guests with us today. We have Jesse and Shelby. Jesse is a Toronto-based audience editor at The Globe and Mail my favorite newspaper that I get on Saturdays, Canada's national newspaper, in case you weren't aware. She has developed her visual programming and teaching skills at some of Canada's top newsrooms and now runs data skills workshops for journalists while teaching data and interactive journalism at Centennial College. She is also a self-identified chaos muppet. And Shelby is the current SEO manager for Mashable, And the co-founder and writer of WTF is SEO, a newsletter that helps news editors perform better in search. And Shelby spends far too much time thinking about how editorial teams can take advantage of Google's algorithm and provide their readers with the information they need when and where they want it. Shelby, Jesse, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you
1: right? So tell me about the origin story. Every great like superhero team, like we know about the Avengers now, (laughs) we know about the X-Men. Tell me about the WTF is SEO team that and how you met.
0: Delby and I actually met in the 2010s. We were both editors at our respective student news organizations. So we both came up through Canadian University Press. And then we met again in the newsroom of the Globe and Mail and went different directions. And then this January, January, 2021, I was trying to learn SEO and Shelby is an expert in the field. Thank you. And we were going back and forth. (laughs) We were going back and forth on Twitter and in direct messages again and again, me asking her questions, trying to understand these search concepts as it would apply to the news context. And we had an aha moment where we realized there's this gap that exists online that there's this gap that exists when there's just not enough information about how to do SEO in the context of news. So Shelby and I decided to collaborate and put this newsletter together. We called it WTF is SEO because that was my first question. And we've been running it for the last 10 months. Shelby, if you want to hop in.
2: Yeah. Like Jesse said, we both worked at The Globe a couple years ago, and I started my journalism career at The Globe and Mail in 2016. And at the time, I was hired as the first ever newsroom SEO specialist. And at the time, you're like, what in the world is this, right? And I had to teach myself. I went through a course through HackerU, now known as Juno College in Toronto. I did advanced and basic SEO but it was all very, very focused on traditional marketing. And so I would do a course twice a week and I'd I'd learn everything that I could. And then I'd try to translate it to doing it for journalism. And that was a huge undertaking for me. So when Jessie was learning herself, you know, she'd ask me questions here, there. And she's like, why is this so hard? Why is this so complicated? And I'm like, it is, but it doesn't need to be. And that's kind of why the newsletter does so well or the newsletter has the audience that it does is because it's all people that are like us that are like, what is this concept and how do we make it so that it works for us?
1: That's incredible. I'll be interviewing actually Heather Payne from Juno College this Friday, which mm-hmm. I'm really excited about.
2: Yeah. Love it. She's a lovely person. Heather's
0: amazing. She's so good. So
1: when people get this newsletter, what, what can people expect in it? And, and why would people subscribe?
0: Well, our newsletter arrives every Monday at 1.21 p.m., And what can subscribers expect is one concept each week detailed, what it is, how it works in the context of SEO and search, and how news editors can apply it to their newsroom. So we sort of bounce back and forth between what issues and how issues. So what is a concept? What is topical authority? What is search ranking and how issue? How do we take these concepts and apply them within the context of our newsroom?
2: And one of the great things that we've been able to do with this newsletter that I guess the audience doesn't really know is that Jessie's been able to really learn while she's been doing this. We've both been able to learn, but Jessie typically does the what and I'll do the how. So it's literally weekly basis. Jessie goes through and says, okay, I'm really interested to learn about, for example, topical authority. And so she'll teach herself about it and she'll write this newsletter that is at that same basis of people that are trying to learn these concepts. And so it's simple, it's concise, it's focused. And then we can take it a little bit more advanced and take that how so she can learn from me, the audience can learn from me, and they can actually apply it to their own newsrooms, which is something that I find a lot of the times when we're reading about SEO online is very hard. Like It's like, what is topical authority? Okay, great. It means that you have authority about a topic. Great. What does that actually mean and how do I get it? And that's something that I find is really effective with Jesse and I is that we get to learn, but we also get to apply.
0: We, I think, have a perfect mix of skill sets, and we're able to learn from each other. And our collaboration has been really the thing that's made the success. I've said to a number of people, "This is my greatest scam in the history of scams." I have never run anything <laughs> smarter than getting Shelby <laughs> to collaborate with me on this newsletter. A, yeah. It's been it's been such a great learning opportunity. Like we just hit 2,000 subscribers last week, and one of the things I realized upon reflection was like. I just learned so much that I would never force myself to learn over the last yep. almost one year because we had to go find this information, synthesize it, and give it to our readers. So I also teach journalism outside of the newsletter and outside of the globe. And the reason I love teaching is because it gives you this clarity on whether or not you understand a topic. If you can teach something to other people and have them understand it, then you know with 100% confidence that you understand this topic. That's amazing. Exactly.
2: And that was the best part about it was like, Every single week, I get to see, you know, not only Jesse, who has done amazing in learning a concept in the last, what, 10, 11 months, and it's a tough concept, but also the people that are reading it on a regular basis, like right before this, Jesse and I were talking about how it really means so much to us when we can see people in our Slack community or we get emails being like, this is awesome, I've been able to do this in my own newsroom, I never thought about this, hey, this is great, can I ask more questions and like get that not only the engagement, but like actually see that what we're doing is helping news editors do their jobs better.
1: That's amazing. So, tactical question: How did you pick which newsletter tool to use?
2: I think we
0: were peak Substack when we were talking about writing the newsletters. So we just went with the herd. It's very much a question of picking the tool that is right for the problem that you're currently trying to mm-hmm. solve. For us, we just needed a platform that would get us up and running quickly that wouldn't throw us any hurdles between having the idea and being able to execute on it. So Substack is, you know, free. It's really easy to use. It has a ton of tools that meet exactly the way I think about it is like, it has enough tools for us to accomplish the thing that we're trying to do without getting overloaded with too many bells and whistles. It just lets us write a newsletter really smoothly. There's been no technical hiccups in 10 months, I would say. So um, just picking the thing that everyone uses worked out well for us.
2: And it kind of worked out because we jumped off the, we jumped really quickly. Like we had talked about this idea, but it was probably from like ideation to creation, like less than three weeks. And yeah. so it allowed us to get on really quickly and be like, you know what, we're launching on February 2nd. Let's go. Instead of being like, you know what, let's get on to MailChimp, let's make sure the domain's set up, let's make sure the stuff's ready. There was a little bit more graphic design to that. Speaking of graphic design, a quick shout out. Ming Wong is who did our branding. She is the, I believe, assistant art director at the Globe and Mail right now. She is an amazing graphic designer. And we came to her with literally one thing saying we wanted a magnifying glass and she made what she did. So huge shout out to her for being able to not only like make us stand out for our branding, but like that was easy too. On Substack, all we needed was the logo where MailChimp or anywhere else asked for a little bit more. So it was like Jesse said, the easiest way to just be like, all right, we're making a newsletter. Let's put it on Substack. We're going on Monday. That's amazing.
1: So the readers, would it mostly be like, would you find journalists to editors to publishers and kind of like the full gamut of the uh, the newsroom?
2: Yes. I find that like, as we were really building up this newsletter, people were subscribing from different places. And so Jesse and I were like, where are they coming from? Who's, who's searching? And it really is a global audience. We have our, our Slack community. There's over 19 different time zones. We have, I believe, over 250 people. Jesse, you can correct me if I'm wrong. And all of those people are audience editors at different news publications across the country or individual consultants for news publications. And we're all asking questions. We're all facilitating. But I do find that it's like across the board editors that are like, I do this or I need to think about this.
1: How do I do it? incredible. Have you been brought in yet? Like, like the, speaking of Canada, like the Magazine Association of Canada or Canadian Association of Journalists, have they discovered you yet?
0: Maybe. (laughs) Not (laughs) potentially. Not entirely sure, but it'd be great organization to reach out to. CAJ is a fantastic organization.
2: Yeah. JHR, Journalists from Human Rights, we have talked to them. Like we've been in like conversations with them to be like, oh, this is great. Like, how can you help us out? And like things like that. We've talked to some organizations of being like, this is an amazing resource. Like, how can we help you? We reached out to Pointer and we reached out to, I believe it was ONA, Online News Association, to do some collaboration and partnership when we worked with them early in the year. ONA, we did like a collaboration issue. So we were able to work with them, but we haven't like directly worked with a lot of the Canadian organizations just because one, it's been 10 months and we were like severely overwhelmed very quickly with how many people were like, this is amazing. I don't want to speak fully for Jesse, but especially for me when it first launched and we got the response that we did, I was very overwhelmed and I was like, oh my God, this is something that actually people are interested in. So when people started saying, hey, this is great, like, how can we work on this? Jesse started reaching out to just ONA to be like, hey, there's this thing. Can we collaborate? We were talking to different organizations. The struggle right now is that it's at this place where we know that there's so much growth and built that we can still do. But we're also both working full time and want to make sure that we don't burn out ourselves and don't jeopardize the quality of the newsletter, I guess. Because
1: it's completely free. Completely free. It's incredible. Incredible. <laughs> so what I find so interesting, too, is that like when you know, internet marketing and kind of internet general was going, Mashable was the source. It was the number one online news source for all things. What's happening with the internet? And Global Mail, it's one of the original newspapers in our country. It's got a great reputation and stature. And it's like, it's, (laughs) you know, thick and meaty every Saturday that gets dropped (laughs) off at our doorstep. And just kind of like the mix of your two worlds, just as the places where you have your day job. But then also now, like the way that you're thinking, you know, the fact that you are deep in the trenches and Jesse, you're asking tons of questions. What a great mix of two people coming together.
2: Yeah. And it's truly been a real honor to work with Jesse on this because we've been able to like bounce ideas off each other. We've been able to take the expertise that we've had for so many years and build something that we're personally really proud of too. Like I never would have on my own said, yes, let's do a newsletter mainly because I'm terrified. I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. But we were able to take this idea and make it into ideation because we were both like, yes, let's do it. Let's make it something big and let's use our experiences. Like Jesse has worked at some of the best publications across Canada and has been able to see the way that different newsrooms work. And the common thread for both of us going to different newsrooms is that people are looking for the news and they're always going to look for the news in the different capacities that they can. And one of those capacities is search. And as we know, search is getting bigger. Search accounts for like 90% of people's first actions on the internet. So... How do we get in front of them? How do we give them the information that they need? And even though I focus mostly on like entertainment and tech and Jesse does a lot more hard news, we still meet in the middle of like, okay, how are people finding this?
1: Do you address, and maybe I'm going to assume you don't, but the, the Google News app or the Apple News app and kind of its role in the news distribution?
0: It depends on the role as an audience editor. I can only speak to what I know audience editors handle generally in the industry. It depends on your organization, but definitely... As an audience editor, you would touch all those off-platform places like Apple News and try to understand what that audience is and how it's different from your audience online and the readers that come to you from search. So really, as an audience editor, your goal is to get the broadest understanding of who reads your journalism. And then your work ultimately is trying to reach those people effectively and then also grow that audience.
1: I guess this affects everyone when we look at SEO today. What would you say if you said, yeah, I've got five minutes maybe with a a newsroom, or I've got five minutes with a brand who's maybe overwhelmed with SEO, but knowing that your bias is towards newsrooms, what is the most important things people need to know?
0: That's a great question. Keyword research, understanding what readers are looking for, what information they're looking for is a good one. And then using... Your skills as an audience editor to connect the dots between the journalism you produce and the interest that people are expressing in search is probably the place I would start. Understanding that keyword research doesn't have to be intimidating or overwhelming or an overly complex process. It can be quite simple. It can be just going to Google Trends and looking at how people are looking up stories and then using that as a shape for your, your reporting your stories.
2: I would agree. I think that keyword research is like the number one thing not only to know, but to do on a regular basis. And it really is just like basic searching. Like I cannot tell you the amount of times that I just search random keywords and look up what's there or look up like who shows up. For example, today, just before this, I was looking up best wireless charging stations. And I realized that there were a lot of different uh, organizations that are writing a lot of roundups around this. And so I took a look at, you know, what's the search volume behind it? What are, what's the actual intent? Because sometimes it can be product-focused. Sometimes it can be informational-focused. I looked up, like, you know, what other keywords are there. And that's really the crux of keyword research is just seeing what is driving traffic to specific pages based on specific words. And from there, you can develop your content to be focused on that. You can create really great news because you already know that you're going to be producing this. You're just focusing it on what the audience is looking for.
1: So would you actually like encourage editors then to take a quick pause go to Google Trends or mm-hmm. for those that just want to have a little more fun go to answer the public as a Google Trends tool and, a tool and look what people are searching and then go to yeah. their journalists and reporters and say hey I'd love to do, I'm going to sign these five stories cuz these are the five most searched things in our region that we service.
0: Yeah. I think that there's very much a need to do both things, using search as a way of understanding what information readers are actively seeking out, as well as the other half of it, which is that investigative enterprise reporting that tells readers things that they wouldn't know to ask. So it's definitely a yes and situation where we we obviously need that investigative journalism, that enterprise reporting, that tells stories that people wouldn't otherwise know. But also at the flip of it, we need to understand that people come to stories in many different ways, and we want to make sure that our journalism reflects that. So if it's a long form feature that you have, you probably want to look at search data and see how did people arrive at this story? And does that data indicate that we missed something or we didn't effectively communicate an angle on the story? And then what can we do to bring in that second wave of readership and that interest?
2: And you can also like use it backwards, too. One of my favorite examples is while I was at the Globe, the Unfounded series. The Unfounded series was a great investigation about how one in five sexual assault cases was considered baseless. And a lot of people didn't know what the word unfounded meant at the time. The search intent behind it was very much dictionary focused. And as we were building up the story and as people were learning about this story, we found that search interest changed for people looking up literally what unfounded is in the context of sexual assault and what the Globe had written. And so you can find, especially with these investigative enterprise pieces that are a little bit harder, a little bit more complex and not necessarily directly related to a search intent, that you can change that and that you can kind of build up this search intent or this search interest around something that is very, very important to humans. That piece was one of the best reported pieces, and we were able to see its impact not only socially, but on the Internet. And I think that's a great example of how SEO can be a very good tool in news. Mm -hmm.
1: Now, speaking of SEO and news, maybe you want to call it, you know, in some of people's minds as news that was yesterday or news that was last yes. week or news that was last year or say five years ago. What's your encouragement around like kind of archival pieces? Like, do you ever encourage newsrooms to take them down or do you encourage newsrooms to like edit them? What's what's your advice for that stuff?
0: We love Evergreen. We're big <laughs> Evergreen stands, not just the trees like IRL, like a forest, but we're also big fans of Evergreen SEO journalism. And we are very pro using your archives. There's a ton of journalism that exists in the archives of major publications and niche outlets that is still as relevant today as is useful today to our readers as it was the day that's been published. We just didn't optimize it correctly five years ago. And if we can look through the archive of all the content that we've written, all the journalism that we've done and make SEO considerations to reach new audiences, and that's fantastic. And I think one of the reasons that we love Evergreen so much is we also think it's a tool against burnout in journalism in the context of news. The daily news churn, that daily need to publish and publish and publish can burn out your staff and your resources. So if we can figure out a balance between the daily file and also thinking about the content that we've already written and reoptimizing for search, hopefully we can find a middle ground where we're still meeting that daily need, but also Bringing in a sustained level of reader interest. And I think Shelby can talk to the question about redirects and deleting old content.
2: Yeah, a lot of it comes down to strategy. Sometimes you may find a story that did really, really well two, three years ago, but is hard news and is just kind of sitting there, but is still gaining traffic because it was a really niche story, but may not necessarily be up to date. You can have a couple options. I always like to look at if there's an opportunity to update or if there's an opportunity to improve. So taking those evergreen steps, making sure that you're looking at what is actually driving traffic, why is it still driving traffic, things like that. But if it actually truly is either out of date or is really null and is driving traffic for the sake of driving traffic, redirect it. It's a really old story. It's probably from 2015, 14, 16. You can probably find a story that you've written in the last two, three years that is more updated and actually serves that intent. Why not take that link equity from you know that piece and 301 direct it to uh, a new piece of content that you have? And that way you're not losing the traffic, you're still gaining that traffic, but you're providing a better service to your readers.
1: I got an email last week. I, I was looking to link to an article I wrote for this site, and it wasn't there anymore. And so I wrote the person. I said, hey, what happened to the, the pieces? And he says, oh, mm-hmm. we, we took down the majority of our articles so our site could load faster. We were advised that it was good for SEO to have a faster loading site. But I was like, no, because I, I, I wrote this piece about holidays and for small businesses. And I was like, well, yeah. usually I, I like linking to that because that's where I <laughs> publish. Like, oh, no, you can, you can use it again somewhere else. But we, we've shaved down our whole site.
2: No, that's, (laughs) that's a terrible idea. Okay, firstly, let me backtrack. SEO has a lot of opinions, as does most things in marketing. Like we're trying to find the best ways to do things. And particularly in SEO, you'll find a lot of people that say this is the best way to do things. There's not necessarily a best way to do things. I do find a lot of the times it is trial and error, and it is particularly vital in SEO to focus on trial and error. However, I would never encourage to delete a piece of content unless it is illegal, slander, libelous or completely out of date and needs to be put somewhere else. But like for a holiday gift guide, that seems silly to me. It's like, prime time for that. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I didn't understand it. And I don't know what to say now because part of me is like, oh, A, do I just, I, I've been given back those pieces I wrote because like, oh, we don't need them anymore. Or do I be <laughs> like, because I, I, I can't really convince them to go against their SEO yeah. consultant because I don't want to <laughs> be like, I, I, I heard somewhere that this is actually good. <laughs> this but. is bad. Oh, okay. Well. Next one I want to know about, so tell me about this wrestle between, and and I think you said it already where it's like, it's yes, and it's doing investigative journalism, beautiful, deep kind of probing stuff that, you know, are stuff that people haven't thought about yet, right? I remember growing up with like Murphy on your side or, you know, those, those CBC pieces that would do these nice, long, deep investigative pieces, Glacier Media, actually their BIV newspaper did an amazing investigative piece on Yellow Pages and, and their work with small businesses. I love that stuff. But then how do you balance that to an editor to say, okay, I need you to think about that 50% of the time. And then 50%, I want you to think of like five best things to do here. You know, kind of roundups or listicles, you know, Buzzfeed-esque things that are really on trend. So how do you convince Mm -hmm. an editor to to do both? Or do you see newsrooms who have two different editors who are like deep and probing editor and then Mm -hmm. trending editor? And I don't know, do you give them (laughs) those titles, but those are awkward. So what do you do?
0: It depends on the newsroom and the assignment editors. But for us, the best way to do it is to communicate your successes. So whenever we assign, and this is a, a general thing that I think for all audience editors, when you assign something that you see happening in search and you act on and execute that and it's successful, you need to communicate that widely to your newsroom because success, success if you can get buy-in from editors and reporters because they've seen something get runaway traffic and, net a lot of subscriptions, they're more likely to do it again in the future. And then I think the other thing is just really respecting the assignment and holding the assignment sacred that when an investigative reporter needs to take 18 months to do their investigation, like that's what is necessary in order for the story to get done effectively. So you just leave it and you get involved when you can, where you can. And then again, just, I think the cycle of reporting your successes back up the chain is really important because that will just engineer goodwill across the organization.
2: Absolutely. And the, the one, number one thing that Jesse and I always say when it comes to this newsletter, and even when we're working with anyone, is the journalism comes first. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, um, working to fit a keyword in it, you're trying to optimize a piece. The journalism is always going to come first, and we don't want to touch the journalism. The journalism is sacred. Nicholas Thompson gave a great keynote at the uh, News Editorial Summit a couple of months ago that Jesse and I were able to talk at. And his big thing was the journalism is sacred. The journalism will always be the most important thing. What we're doing just adds to the journalism. And that's the whole crux of what SEO for News is. I don't want to change the body copy of a really, really intensely reported story that has talked to so many editors and has gone through sourcing. I want to make sure that that piece— reaches as many people as possible. So how do I do that by complementing the reporting that has already been created? That's Mm -hmm. how I always look at journalism and I will never touch the assignment. And Jesse is the same. Like we we don't touch it.
0: (laughs) As audience editors, we have many tools at our disposal, whether it's search or social, using newsletters, writing push notifications, alerts, managing a homepage. SEO is one of the many tools that we use and our ultimate goal is to make sure that our journalism reaches the widest audience possible.
1: So with that, and it, but again, your focus is going to be on like people binging and Google searching, correct? And and can hey. you say how many are binging at the moment these days when it comes to news? Roughly.
2: How many are binging? I mean, it's definitely less than 10%, but it is growing in the sense that more people are moving towards like encrypted. Yes. Duck, duck, Ooh, go. Yes. Duck, duck, go. Yes. And there's another one. I think it's called Brave or something. What happened to Mozilla, by the way? Mozilla gone. Is that still a thing?
1: Though. I'm going to remember Mozilla. It was so cool. It'd be like the browser would be Mozilla.
2: I but maybe they I, still I,
1: use Google search though. Sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, I think you're right. They do have a custom search engine as an extension, but it doesn't mm. look like they actually use like a search engine anymore. Then but there the was Monopoly? Ask
1: Jeeves. Ask yes, Jeeves ask was amazing. Was the
2: best one way back when. I definitely did not do any work on Ask Jeeves because I am way too young <laughs> for that. But I remember playing with it as a child. Most of my work admittedly is around Google just because of the fair share of voice that it has. But I think that it would be naive for us to not look at Bing, Yahoo, DuckDuckGo, Brave, whatever else comes up because as we learn more about privacy and especially on the internet, I wouldn't be surprised if there's gonna be a change in the share of voice. And especially because as we all see, Google is changing its SERPs, which is Mm -hmm. search engine results pages, literally every single day. And it's very frustrating to look at it and know that the efforts that we're putting in are less likely to turn into traffic and therefore conversions if we're just being served what we want in Google, which I get. It's the point. But it's hard for us as publishers to say, okay, what are we supposed to do?
1: So I got to ask a question. I can only guess if you've ever seen the movie Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan. Okay.
2: Yes. <laughs> so
1: sometimes I describe Google like a really mean girl in high school. And so if your website, your news platform is walking down the website, Google's doing two main things. It's looking to see what brands you got on your clothes, what sort of hair do you got, kind of your on site technical SEO stuff. You know, what words are along the side of your jogging pants, what brands are your shoes. What I want to ask you about is the second side of judgmental Google's judging is mm-hmm. who's talking to you in the hallway and, and the backlinks, and, and what are they talking to you about? Because I had a news publication come to me a couple years ago and said, hey, we really want to get, we've run this really great study and we're publishing it. We'd really love to get other news publications to talk about our study. And, and of course, no one wanted to do that. No one wanted to a news publication link to another news publication. But what are your thoughts when it comes to off-site SEO? And, and, and there's different terms for it, backlinking SEO.
2: My jam, which is hilarious because I used to hate links. I, I find link building the hardest part of SEO. I truly do news think, reporting
1: too. Like yes. who wants to who? What news out? Like because in in regular like if you sell cups, you could talk <laughs> about this amazing new cup, and then maybe the Globe's going to write an article about your cup. But who's yes. going to write an article about the Globe Mail in say the Toronto Star or the Financial Post?
2: Exactly, and that PR aspect is something that journalists in particular are like, "Ugh, I hate this." So it's really interesting to kind of balance that. Luckily at Mashable, we do have someone that focuses directly just on the PR SEO link building. Um, So he works on gaining our links in other earned media. So we'll produce stories and say, hey, there's this opportunity to be in here or there and he'll work on that. But when it comes to actually like linking one publication to another, five years ago, it was almost like non-existent. There was this huge competition that was essentially like in, in Canada in particular How do I do better than the other? How do I make sure that I am like King? And it was very hard back then to get links. I do find more now that people are citing their sources, keeping in mind that credibility is a huge thing, focusing on the trust project, which is collaboration between a bunch of publications across the globe to try to fight misinformation. You find that publications are more likely to link to your content or your stories if you break a story before they do, which is also just good etiquette. Realistically, like I'm sure that the CBC has posted something that it's been like as reported by the Toronto Star and it's a big piece. So you want to link from that. And that said, for anyone listening that works in news, I don't think there's any shame in reaching out to a publication that comments or sorry, posts a story about something that you've also written and said, hey, we have this great story. We should try to link together. Because that's the only way that you're able to really build up that quality. If you're writing about something that they're also writing about, why not help each other? A quality link is a quality link is a quality link. It doesn't matter if it's from the National Post, the Canadian press, Reuters, whatever, because we're all writing about the same thing and trying to fight misinformation. Personally, that said, there's always the competition aspect of it. And you don't want to fight, you know, the Globe and Mail, for example, is going to be fighting CTV or the Global, whatever, for those places, just like National Post is going to fight Toronto Star or the Financial Post or something. But... Linking is a great opportunity for a publication to build that authority, especially when they're trying to build it around a specific topic. And I think that there is a really great opportunity for a lot of publications to say, you know what, they're writing about something that we have this really great piece about. Let's just send it their way and see what happens.
1: And in some cases, there's some publications that own multiple publications. And (laughs) so… There. We've
2: seen this. I'm sure that you're probing at something that I've talked about on Twitter. Linking schemes can be fun, but they can also be something that is very detrimental. Mashable in particular works a lot around Black Friday and commerce reporting, which is great, something I haven't actually had a lot of experience in, but we were able to do some really great work this past year. But we were seeing on the internet, in the internet on Google in particular, that a lot of these places that have multiple publications were working on linking schemes to direct a lot of traffic to a specific site. I will not name any of the sites, but there were a lot of the like, efforts that we were seeing that were really interesting and sometimes controversial. So when it comes to link building, you want to make sure that it's all about that quality, but you also want to make sure that there's nothing sketchy about it. Yeah. Google is always changing its algorithm, and if you're doing something it doesn't like, you will be penalized.
1: Jesse, what has been the most surprising thing you've learned in this last year?
0: Oh, I I'm'm I'm gonna shut out my my WTF as SEO co-writer Shelby uh the best thing I the most surprising thing I've learned in the last year is how rewarding it is to collaborate and to work with people who you respect and admire. And that knowledge should be shared is my point here. There's no reason to be gatekeepers when it comes to these kinds of things. The ultimate objective that Shelby and I share is making journalism better. And that sounds like pretty big picture, but we're trying to give people the information and access to what we wish we knew two years ago, five years ago. So that's ultimately what we're trying to do. And I guess what is most surprising to me is how fun and gratifying it is to do that for a community. Um, And it's also just such a great lesson in how you learn every other week for the last 10 months, I've had to put together a thousand words on a particular topic and nothing has been a more effective tool for me to learn about search and SEO within the context of news and more broadly than having to put this newsletter together.
1: So, okay, not to oversimplify it, but if you Google something, the news feed, right? That's what shows up. And and sometimes news articles show up. Sometimes the news shows up in the Google feed. Sometimes it's an article. Sometimes it's a company. But then there's the tab. There's the actual news tab. What you're Mm -hmm. instructing people is how to show up in the main feed, not just the news feed. Or is it both that you work on for people, both the news section within Google and the main feed?
2: I would say we mostly focus on both and also Google Discover because that decided to be a thing this year. But Coming back to the basis of like not oversimplifying it, but traffic is traffic is traffic. And even though the traffic is in different places and you have to optimize differently, you're still focusing on trying to get the traffic. Mm -hmm. We're focused predominantly on the 10 blue links and the main Google search because that's where most people go. Nine times out of 10, they won't click on the Google News tab. And if they do, it's usually to get supplemental information. So we want to be in front of them as much as humanly possible on regular searches, not just like news intent searches. So, we definitely talk about Google News. We talk about Google Discover. Again, pitching that great conference that we were able to talk to, but I learned a lot about Google Discover being basically this new social feed that Google's trying to create and how it's very different than regular SEO. And that was super interesting for me because I focused so much on the regular blue links that I didn't even think about Discover. And in the last two months, I've thought about it probably more than I ever have. Same with Google News because There's just so many different ways that people can find their news. There's so many different ways that people can access information that if you're not thinking about all the different ways that either Google or Bing or DuckDuckGo are changing the way that we're accessing information, you're behind. And voice search. Exactly. And I've been thinking about voice search since like 2017, and it's still something that baffles me. I don't know the full concept of how to optimize for, like, my Google Home. Or, you know, what are the best wireless charging stations? How am I going to get that information verbally versus just on my phone? Because humans are different. I may like to read something. Jesse may like to listen to something. You may like to visually see it or hear it. You know what I mean? Um, We're trying to find different ways to do this. And I think that Google News... Google Discover, Google Search, Google Voice are all different audiences that we need to cater to in different ways.
0: But shout out to Barry Adams, who writes an excellent newsletter. Yes. SEO for Google News, who covers this extensively, and John, his collaborator on the News and Editorial Summit conference that they put together a couple months ago. They both had talks specifically on Google News and Google Discover, which I would recommend.
1: What about, can we talk about rich snippets? <laughs> of course
2: we can. Rich Snippets, for anyone that's listening that does not know, it is a little bit of more developed content in the Google search results page. It's a knowledge graph, which gives you information directly in the results. It's product focused. It's answering your question directly in there so you don't have to click on a link. It's giving you reviews, the actual stars. Any of those like visual components that aren't directly just clicking on a link is considered a Rich Snippet. These, as I mentioned earlier, are becoming a lot more prominent because we're seeing that Google is making it as easy as possible for the user to get the information without having to click on a link. So when it comes to rich snippets, I think that optimizing for them, and Jesse, please share after, but I think optimizing for rich snippets is one of the primary things that editors should be focused on. Because there are so many opportunities to show up for like a very simple knowledge graph or, you know, you're writing a review about a really great movie and someone's looking that up. That's easy traffic. That's easy evergreen traffic that will not go away when the news changes.
0: We had an explainer on a particular news event here and we optimize it for a rich snippet. And we actually saw that we continue to rank for that particular snippet. And it's been a top performing piece of content for us. And it's also like a very good piece of journalism, like to go without saying, but yeah, making the effort and trying to optimize for these spots in Google search helps you get a leg up on the competition, which is also the other thing that we want. We always Mm -hmm. want to win the day in search. So whatever you can to, to get closer to that objective is well worth the effort. And that still works even with a Globe Mail paywall. Yes. Which
1: is amazing. (laughs) That's incredible. Good for Google. So those that have blogs, I'm just trying to bridge it. Those that are are listening now and they're like, okay, I don't have a news site. I don't have a news platform, but I blog a lot for my company. I blog Mm -hmm. a lot for my agency. I blog a lot for my brand. And so there's maybe some small relevancy here when it comes to the content when it comes to content creating length is there a, a whole length thing people often ask this all the time what is the proper length that google likes and 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 it'll probably the answer might even change by the time this publishes but is there <laughs> any kind of general kind of philosophy on that around that that you're, you've been following
2: yes and no and one of the best things about seo is that almost every answer is it depends yeah. and this is another one of those Typically, pieces that are 2,000 words or more do better because it is considered quality content that has been thoroughly investigated, thoroughly broken out, and has links to other sources. That said, if you have a written article of 500 words and you're just talking about something in depth, that can do well too. For those that are focusing on blog content, obviously that's more of a like quality evergreen kind of piece, so you're thinking more on that longer term. Or that longer level so maybe 2000 words with a couple h2 headings to break up your content h2 headings allow google to see that there are subheadings and you're talking about different focuses so if you're targeting a primary keyword in the whole story i'm going to come back to my wireless charging because it's on my head so you're talking about why best wireless chargers in your actual piece your h2s could be the different types of chargers or it could be why would i need a wireless charger how does a wireless charger work Now you're able to target not only that primary keyword that is in your headline, your deck, your URL, but in your blog post, you're also targeting all of those longer tail keywords. And that applies not only in blogging, but also in news. And so that's a great opportunity for anyone that's like, oh, I really want to try this, like this opportunity to create a good reported piece of content, but it's on my blog. Follow the same structure. Most basic seo checklists or basic seo how do i do it follow the same things or follow the same steps it's just slowly changing them based on what your audience is
0: and great news on the 2000 word count situation because i think a lot of people think seo is gimmicky or janky or mm. some sort of negative connotations so it's always great when what um you know, what Google wants aligns with how newsrooms think and operate, especially when it comes to line length. Give a reporter 2,000 words and they will absolutely take it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that
1: is awesome. So what's next? What can people expect from the newsletter? I don't want to call it a hobby, but it's kind of like a, a side hustle that you're just... Something that you're providing as such a great educational experience for people at no cost. What can they expect and where can they go to find more information?
0: We are... Trying to produce quality content that really helps people do their jobs more effectively and communicates the importance of using SEO as a tool to make sure that our journalism reaches the widest audience possible and shows up for people when and where they need it. So for us, our roadmap, and that's a word that Shelby knows that I love, our roadmap (laughs) is (laughs) figuring out how we can do that while continuing to grow our audience. So as Shelby mentioned, we publish weekly. We are constantly producing guides, and additional resources. So we have an evergreen SEO spreadsheet that we recommend people use to track their efforts. We also have a Slack community where we love to engage with people more directly. And we've introduced recently a new feature within our newsletter called Ask a News SEO, where we interview people in the industry to get not only their insights, but their recommendations for where people should go next.
2: And one of the things I would really love to see in the future is being able to like have bigger conversations with the people that are interested in our newsletter or interested in the the content. Because one of the one of the really fascinating things about this was uh, as we built our community, realizing how many people were struggling with the same issues that we were. And the biggest thing that I wanted out of this newsletter, and I think Jesse did, too, was that we didn't want people to struggle the way that we did. Five years ago, when I started doing SEO, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I felt extremely uncomfortable with the fact that I was trying to transfer something that is traditionally very marketing heavy, has a lot of jargon, to something that is journalism. It's crux and is like reporting and telling the news. And I didn't want to, I felt a little icky at first, to be honest, because it felt like I was just doing marketing for journalism. But As we moved through it and I learned about it and I I realized that there was an opportunity, I wanted to build this out with Jesse to help people that are in the same place that we are learn it and build upon it. SEO is always changing. SEO is a very complex topic. You will never be a master. I'm not a master and I never will be. Jessie's not a master and she never will be because there's just so much that we need to learn and we get to learn just like our community does. And I think that being able to provide that is something that both of us are like, this is exactly what we wanted. We wanted people to not have to struggle. So weekly, we want to bring as much information and as much accessibility to what's happening in the world as possible.
0: And the fact that SEO continues to change as does journalism and the news environment continues to change is what makes it exciting for us to do week to week. And ultimately our like metric of success is whether or not people learn from it and can make their own newsrooms better and more effective.
1: That's incredible. Where can people go to find more information and to sign up?
0: Our newsletter is WTF is I'm on Twitter, Jesse Willems. That's Two L's, M-S, and Shelby, where can they find you? You
2: can find me on Twitter at Shelby Blackley. And our newsletter comes out every week on Mondays at 1.21 p.m. Eastern.
1: Amazing. We'll put links in the show notes on the episode notes. And uh, thank you both for joining us.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, this was great. Thank you. This is so great.
1: I've learned so much. Jesse. why don't we end with this? How do you listen to your podcast? What state of mind or life or motion are you in when you're consuming podcasts?
0: Ooh, I love a long walk. If I can hit 20K in one walk, I'm very, very happy. So I'm always in motion with my headphones on. Okay. In, the Shelby, in a ravine, in a ravine in Toronto. Okay. Yep.
2: Shelby. Walking in headphones always.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. So those that are walking like Jesse and Shelby right now, hopefully you not only got your legs moving, some fresh air, but also some great inspiration ideas and resources for thinking more about SEO and newsrooms and just to know that the two of you exist to provide that as a resource to newsrooms all around the world, not just Canada, but all around the world are benefiting from the great resource that you're putting out every week. So thank you again for joining us.
2: Thank you.
1: We'll see everyone next time on Marketing News Canada.
0: Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and the Podfather.
4: At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership,